Hey everyone, welcome to episode 9 of the Thirst for Knowledge podcast. It's me, your boy, Lawrence, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Steve. How are you doing, man? Good, how are you? I'm alright, I'm alright. Uh, we missed you last week, but, you know, Cyrus was uh, able to hop on, so that was pretty sweet. We heard about his GP Atlanta. How was yours? Mine was a great day one. I went X and two into day two, popped off my first two wins, so it was nine and two, and then... The wheels fell off my bus, and I didn't pick up a win after that. And you played Rug Delver, right? Yes. Anything notable about your list? I played the fourth Renin 6 over the second Preordained because I felt like it was the same thing as a cantrip in most situations, but it was a lot more powerful than a Preordained. I was heavier on snakes, but I think that's more now what people are playing anyways. And then I messed up my sideboard. I forgot my second Force Negation, but I didn't lose to any combo decks. So, except for one Storm matchup in day one, so that probably didn't matter as much. Yeah, you played two Snakes, right? Yep, two Snakes. I also played no Caracas Crap Rock because I couldn't stand the room it was taking. I actually did the same, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, the weekend of the GP. I think I messed around with a few things on Moto, but I don't quite recall to play some Rug Delver. And I Jarvis used main deck from the GP, and then I just made a different sideboard. And part of that was cutting Crop Rock Caracas as well. Um, because I felt like everyone was reacting. It was just kind of like a herd immunity type of thing. Like, everybody's been reacting to depths, and I felt like I'm likely to run into less depths. So I don't need as drastic measures, potentially. Um... Like the sideboard, I like the the extra slot ended up becoming a Graft Digger's Cage, which is nice. It's nice to be able to have the room for the third Grave Hayden, just like the extra lock piece against Storm. Right now, the list that I have loaded into Moto is like basically Jarvis's list, but I cut Dreadhorde Arcanus for a fifth removal spell. Right now, I have Dismember, but I could also see Magmatic Sinkhole in the main. I have a Sinkhole in the sideboard. I, I haven't put too much thought into it. The reason I cut Arcanist isn't because I think the card's bad, but because I was noticing, like, partially the deck's density of two drops is fairly high, and I wanted to mitigate, like, the negative effects of casting days while on the draw. But also, in the, the rug mirrors, there aren't that many lightning bolt targets, and I was getting into a lot of spots where Dreadhorde Arcanist just wasn't really castable. Um because, like, I hadn't played a Delver or Hexdrinker. Like, I hadn't played anything that would warrant my opponent casting Lightning Bolt, and, like, I just didn't want to get time-locked for one mana. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, are you still playing Rug going forward? Are you switching it up a bit? I'm probably going to change stuff around. I mean, I, got, I updated my list um, for post-GP. During the GP, I sat it out my Arcanist almost every fair matchup except for the blue-white shells. I never sighted the snakes out, so I kind of felt like the Arcanists were just a little slow and clunky, and they actually were warping the entire deck. And they and like I played against uh, Jessica Mentor in day two, and those were my first two wins. And uh, the pilots were competent people, but they 
they brought in like rest in peace and these things that didn't matter while I was still playing creatures that beat face. So yeah, people have kind of gone to this leveling game of um, cutting their snapcasters for rest in pieces post board and like the rug decks have adapted. It's just like Jarvis mentioned that he uh, cut goifs or like he played against the four color snow deck, cut his goifs and like just destroyed his opponent. Yeah, that's what I. That's the same thing I did. I cut my goifs. Like I didn't cut my arcanists because they do gain value, but I did cut my goifs because like they were nothings and it didn't and it, it didn't even matter. So I was not impressed at all with the entire thing. So with um the goif the goifs were great because of the mirror. Yeah, yeah, goif is just a powerhouse. But um, I what I found with the snakes is I liked them solely because they were one mana plays. Like I never really leveled them up. But I did like the fact that, like, you know, turn one I had a play. Or if I went turn one ponder, eh, I had six one-drop threats that I could find. So if I had, like, days on turn one, I could still deploy a threat on turn two. Whereas a lot of the list are so two-drop centric that if you, like, cast a days before turn two, you aren't playing a threat until turn three. And that gives your opponent so much time to just build out of things. Yeah, if I could go back, I wouldn't play, I wouldn't, I wouldn't play true name which is kind of hysterical, but I never played... Since I played, like, the Mirror and um, Four Color Control and Combo decks, TNN was just not was just not worth it. I like True Name partially as a blue count. It's good in the Tundra matchups, which, like, I think Tundra's, like, criminally overrepresented at these tournaments. Um which is a thing I've mentioned to some people, like, going into the GP. Like, if you want to make extra hedges for Tundra at a GP, that's fine. Because, like, guys who play Tundra are more likely to just show up with Tundra. Like, I know a few guys in the Miracles Cabal who will play literally everything but a Tundra deck leading up to a GP. And then will play stock Miracles for the tournament or whatever. I just lean on Run and Six for those matchups. So, I guess it was just a different... I mean, it was it was a different kind of uh, it was a different kind of scenario. Like the TNNs were fine; they weren't bad cards. It's just the the matchups because I faced all fast combo, Delver decks, stuff like that. Getting to three to four lands to play it, deploy a TNN was just not possible. Yeah, it's like very dependent on like Rin and Six and how you play the game. Like in the mirrors on the play, I've been doing a lot more of just slamming my creatures, my two drops into days. Because, like, one, not... The tempo. Right, like, not having your opponent untap and play a two-drop of their own is huge. Like I said before, like, if your opponent has... You have to daze on turn one or whatever. It sets you so far behind. So you can exploit that by just, like, sacrificing a goif to a daze if you have, like, another follow-up threat. Yep. Well, it, it kind of makes your goif better. Like, giving up a goif will let you play... Like your goifs better. My my only losses day one were like to Storm and then Rich Callie on Rug Delver, and game one he played three goifs in a row. So, you know, like, and then the second game we had a big stack battle for a run and six, and I lost. So, you know, I would like to say our games were interactive, but they weren't. The mirror is very snowbally right now. The Delver mirrors of yesterday, or even the Deathrite Charm mirrors, were like these matters of like small edges. But now everybody is playing, but like. You know, in those days, all of the threats got answered by Lightning Bolt and what have you, right? Like, everything went Gurmag through it. But now, the Delver Mirror is, like, 
four Delver, maybe some Hexdrinker, and then the marquee threats are Rin and Six, Goyf, and if you can resolve it, True Name. Which means that, like, you have, everybody's just jamming creatures that don't, like, aren't easily answered, or threats that aren't easily answered outside of, like, on the stack. And, um, it is kind of a miserable dynamic. Goyf has become slowly the new True Name, because True Name's actually very easy for Rug to deal with between Days and Red Blasts, but, but Goyf can sneak in. And the first Goyf causes you to play poorly to get to get through it, and then that's when the second Goyf can kind of seal the deal, in my opinion. Like, you have Magmatic Sinkhole, and that's it, which is not a great swath, swash of answers. Well, I also have Dismember. Well, so the sideboard that I have right now in Moto is one Hydro Blast, two Vapor Snag, Spell Pierce, one Force Negation, uh, which maybe should be a Fluster Storm. Like, I'm not sure if I want six Forces. Uh, I have a Submerge, uh, an Ancient Grudge, a Red Blast, a Pyroblast, Sylvan Library, Return to Nature, Graft Digger's Cage, two Surgicals, and a Magmatic Sinkhole. And then I have, like, a main deck dismember. So I have, like, three, quote-unquote, clean answers to Goyf, and dismember, sinkhole, and... Uh, submerge and then i have like vapor snag which is like a bit messier but it you know it gets the job done right yeah i had a similar to you but i didn't have the main deck this member but i had three clean answers and then um i had two bounce spells so but my bounce spells were vapor snag and echoing truth which i know echoing truth was debatable whether it was good or not i just didn't like having something for storm if they decided to go gobbos and that's what kind of hedged me towards it yeah, I was trying Engineered Explosives, because it answers Chalice and answers Empty the Warrens, but I don't know. It's, like, good, but it may not need it. It's, like, I played a few leagues with it, and it, like, came up sometimes, but not, like, a lot, a lot. Um, but I'm kind of at the point where I've been playing Delver decks for a while, and I just kind of want to break, which is why... Like, the new set is perfect, because it kind of gives some new things to toy around with. Um, which, I, I actually did end up playing some Delver with the Royal Scions, and uh, I don't think they're good. I just wanted to try it, and I played two or three leagues with them. And, like, the first league, I didn't really draw them ever. And then the second league, I only drew them in spots where, like, my opponent just conceded to them. So it was like, my opponent is dead to a Delver getting plus two. And it was just like, oh, they conceded, okay. I play with them in Standard a lot. They're really, they're really powerful there. In Legacy, I don't know if I would play them in a Delver shell. I think you could play it in a, like a Rug Strifo deck without the black. Like a Rug. PVDH was playing them. He 5-0'd with like a, a blue-eyed red list. That had Dreadhorde Arcanus, the Royal Scions, and um, like Seven's Reclamation, because you know the Scions let you buy back like extra stuff. That, that's what I was going with. Was playing Arcanist with it, but I don't know about White. I was thinking Rug. Like I want to. He also has a copy of Improbable Alliance, which that card's. Is that the blue red one when you draw a second card, make a one one fairy? And then six. Yeah, it's basically better. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah I've, six mana yeah. loot. I play that in my standard deck as well. Yeah, 
<laughs> it's a good, it's a fun card. I didn't know. Wow, that's that's different. We'll see that in the next deck dub. There's a lot of random stuff in here. He has like, he has a Mystic Sanctuary and a Caracas in his deck, and like three basic islands and then four non-basic islands. So that seems a bit ambitious, and then, like, the rest of the deck is, like, one counterbalance, there's one Monastery Mentor, it's just, like, a lot of stuff. I think it's neat that the Mystic Sanctuaries count each other, but he's only got one, so never mind. <laughs> like, I do think I do think that the deck... So I do like the idea of the Royal Scions, I don't think they're probably good in Delver, like I was hoping, because, like I said, I, I couldn't play my true names, you know, at the GP. So it's just another three mana spell that can be red blasted our days. So it's kind of like, eh, I'm not as much on it. Um, I like the, I like Oko as a legacy prospect, but that's because it deals with creatures and chalice. So it kind of like deals with all fair things. And I like the idea of that card. Um, I don't know if it's playable or not, because you'd have to be a deck that can think in, can deal with the first chalice on your own, and then it's kind of like your your ancient grudges for future chalices. Yeah, uh, it's just awkward at three mana. I think the card has legs somewhere, maybe, uh, but it's just like like right now, legacy is just so efficient, and it's hard to like want to play things that die to spell pierce and red blast. Like that was one of my concerns with the scions that like they're dead to spell pierce, red blast, and blue blast. But, like, I just played the leaks because I, I don't know, it's cool or whatever. I do like the the regular art. I don't like the special art. I'm not, not into that. I also think it's funny that we're talking about three mana walkers that go to six loyalty as non-efficient. And that's a hyper-efficient legacy. Like, hit, right? Right. Like, you know, that's where we are, I guess. But Throne of Eldraine does have some... Fancy new stuff in it. Uh, yeah, we mentioned um, Mystic Sanctuary, which uh, it was funny when the card was spoiled. Like one of the group chats I'm in, the conversation was like, "Guys, I think this is busted," and they were all like, "Oh, yo, this looks busted," and they were like, "Wait, it has to be your fourth. It doesn't trigger unless it comes in untapped." Wow, that's whack. I don't, I don't know about this. And then, like, when the card dropped, and like someone in the Miracles Cabal actually tried it, it was just like, yo, this card's fire. Um, and like right now, the card is, I think, rightfully being compared to a fetchable mystical tutor that taps for mana, and. I think part of why that uh, comparison is fair is because, like, the Tundra decks have so many cantrips that they're very good at finding their first copy of an effect, but sometimes they can awkwardly struggle to find, like, the subsequent copies that they need, maybe because they, like, incinerated a bunch of cantrips looking for the first copy or what have you. And, like, when it's you know, turn four later, potentially. Being able to buy back, like, random effects, you know, I played some Miracles with the card, I brought back AK, I bought back 
um, just like can trips, uh, you know, sometimes rebuying of sorts of plowshares is relevant. Uh, one situation I was dead to an onboard merit lage, cast a bunch of cantrips, was left in hand with a fetch land and a brainstorm. I was like, oh, okay. So I put my fetch land into play, go to my opponent's turn, and get to fetch into Sanctuary, put Terminus on top, and cast Terminus. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what the card does. Oh, also, like, it's an interaction with Counterbalance. Like, being able to fetch and put specific CMCs on top is kind of also nutty. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens going forward. I think Miracles is a deck that potentially abuses this card the best. Uh, whereas, I think it's just good in, like, every Tundra shell. Um, Justin Janari... I hope I pronounced that right. I am the actually the level one or something. Yeah, I'm actually level one. Um, he like messaged me Saturday night about the challenge and like we just quickly hammered out a deck list that wasn't completely tuned, and he ended up going five two in the challenge, and it was just like basically Zach Allen's mentor deck, but with or more closer to Col or mix of like Zach Allen's mentor deck and Colin Roundtree's mentor deck from the GP, but with two copies of um, Mystic Sanctuary. So he like still had the Astrolades, but he still had accumulated knowledge. And uh, the Sanctuaries were just consistently good. Like just buying back anything was nice. And once Moto unbugs predict and cares to get some reps in with that and um, see how that goes. Like, it, you know, I have a couple lists drawn up. Uh, one of them is like a four counterbalance list that I'm curious about. And I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Like, uh, I know Rugved was playing a list with Entreat the Angels, and he said against Show and Tell, he just, like, cast Entreat the Angels for zero, and passed turn with fetch lands up, and a counterbalance in play. So they just, like, couldn't cast a Show and Tell ever. Which is, like, really interesting to me. Yeah, I've, I've been playing around with the list. I've, mine is Bant, though, so... It's a little more. It's a little different. I've got Sylvan Library in my deck because I've kind of liked. If I'm going to be leaning on these uh, three counterbalances, I've wanted Sylvan Library to help facilitate that. And I also am playing Veil of Summers in my sideboard because not only does it prevent me from dying, but it protects my counterbalances from decays and red blast and effects. So, well, I guess not red blast, but it protects it. So, I've enjoyed it a lot. But I'm, I want to test some other things. Like, I've been I've been big on the cards since it got printed. I like all the spell lands, but Mystic Sanctuary is my favorite. And I'm testing Deprive currently to see if you can Deprive Lock someone. Because I would love the idea of the, the ability to Deprive Lock someone out of the game. Yeah, that that is um, a thing you can do in Popper now. And... Mystic Sanctuary is potentially, like, very vintage relevant uh, with 
gush or effects similar to that. So, um, it'll be cool to see what happens. Because, like, Sanctuary, like, buying back Time Locker, uh, Chubby Rain was talking about this, just, like, buying back Ancestrals, just buying back random stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's vintage. And having a way to, like, loop your restricted effects without actually using Snapcasters so you can potentially abuse them more and more as the game goes well, on. Well, fetchable Mock Sapphire that also gets back a restricted card. It's it's yeah, it's yeah. really not... Like, I was big on, what, two or three weeks ago saying that this card's going to bust, be busted in Legacy Shells like Miracles, and it may end up getting, like, restricted really fast in Vintage just because it's a land that buys back a restricted card, and that's a problem. I also think it's not very positive gameplay for Popper because Popper already has a problem with loops and this is the loopiest card I've ever seen. So Yeah, I mean Popper uh is like legacy slash vintage uh without force of will, I guess. Or like any rare inhibitors. Uh so yeah. Well, the big problem the big problem is is like, you know, in Legacy, uh, the other decks are very powerful, and Popper the power level is not as even as it, you want it to be. They keep like banning cards, but I don't know if it's gonna it's gonna get fixed. I mean, right now Astrolabe's a problem, and then in that format, everyone gets to play Astrolabe's. So I think like Miracles will end up headed towards Astrolabe's because of Mystic Sanctuary. Because it enables you to comfortably get to the fourth island quicker, but I don't know if that'll happen or not. Like I'm not prepared to make that sacrifice in my deck building yet, but in the theory behind it's really, it sounds to me. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the same thing, like Astrolabe Miracles. Oddly enough, like just for that reason you mentioned, like being able to play a game where you go island, 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 like cast terminus is really interesting and appealing um regardless of like format health or what have you right? i think it's uh it's definitely game breaking right yeah i don't know if the deck has the space um like right now a lot of lists are really tight on space there's debate as to whether or not you want three or four sweepers i've heard some players say that um they're valuing Supreme Verdict much higher right now because of, like, the density of Force Negations in the Dubber decks. So just having that, like, Supreme Verdict you, Mystic Sanctuary, and back when you play your follow-up threat, Supreme Verdict you. Well, it's also a four, right? It's a four. Yeah. That, that's yeah. it. We're back to, like, worried about, like, having a spread of numbers because you do have the fetchable tutor to put something on top. So having a one through five, actually one through six is actually relevant in your deck versus like where it used to be. You didn't matter. So, you know, you cared more about certain spells. Well, now you can like, you know, now you, now you don't have to worry about Jace if you can get the verdict into your yard. Uh, yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, that's part of why predict is appealing, I guess, for that exact reason. Yep. And it's, it's also interesting, it's, like mm -hmm. in the mirror, you'll keep in verdict post board and stuff. So like, we will because a mentor, well, right? You would because right, a mentor right. anyways. Like it's already a thing you're doing, is what I was saying. And now like Okay. 
you can do the whole predict away my supreme verdict as opposed to like in the mirror there are a lot of times where you'll take lines where like you'll just have verdict in hand as a fail safe and just clutch onto it for dear life but now you can be a little more flippant and go like predict it away or whatever and just have it have it at the ready like the the card's really interesting um and i i'm really curious to see where things go I did try Day's Miracles because Francis was um, having a lot of fun with it. And I personally didn't like the Dazes. I found them very awkward to try and leverage. Um, like, there were a couple times I got to Daze and pick up Sanctuary, which obviously felt kind of nuts. But it, it was never like a... There were more situations where I just wished the Dazes were other cards. Um just to have, like, a more coherent game plan. They were, like, so terrible to draw at certain points in the game. I was never able to, like, pressure someone into playing into days. It was always just, like, oh, my ex opponent accidentally, like, tapped low or something. Got him. Yeah, I don't I don't like days in the list because you have to have a three lands plus Sanctuary to then days it back unless you skip the value in the first one, which means you put in a, a enter the play tapped land and got zero value for it. So it seems like the days to me is a trap. Um, and you and you have to be more of a mentor build, I'm pretty sure, to leverage the days where I'm enjoying the fact that I can just play Entreats because of this new card. So Yeah, Entreat is like way more abusable at the moment, which is cool. Um, being able to just like jam it early game, have a counter where that you don't actually care about and then buy it back is really nice. Whereas before, you know... You had to count your win cards, uh, right? Yeah, you had to, like, be real protective of your entry. You couldn't just, like, throw it out there. You know, it was just, like, not safe to do so. Um, but now it's just, like, you know, let's let's get frisky. Yeah, Looking I like good. it. I really like it for entry. I like... um. I like Predict, but I'm also playing Sylvan Library, so I'm kind of cheating a little bit on that. Um, and I do in... How many Sylvans two. are you playing? This is yeah, miracles, miracles, right? Just two. One Trap and the... So, like, you know how the new list are playing one Volk, one uh, Mountain in the sideboard? I'm, play I'm playing one yeah. Trap, one Forest in the in the sideboard. And my sideboard green cards are only the Veil of Summers. So, but it has come. That's interesting. It has come up where I was able to cast my disenchant, the nature's chant, off of my forest, and that was funny to me. So I don't know, because I also have one. I have five ways to fetch green forest because of the one uh, prismatic vista. And I really like the, like I said, I feel like if you have like five turn two plays that required an answer, like you're actually catching up with the rest of the format by playing it that way. Uh, yeah, I could see it. Like there is an argument that, you know, uh, Sylvan Library is a potentially more impactful two drop than Counterbalance, at least in some matchups. Uh just like the pseudo sensei's divining top is interesting. Yep, <clears throat> but that's my that's my thing. I think I talked about it with Vet in one in Jarvis stream or someone's stream, and you know I've seen some people trying 
Bant with Helm, a Helm deck, because they're trying to fight the graveyard-centric format. But, you know, when I saw this card, whatever, however many weeks ago, when I was all excited about the spell land, saw this one, I brewed up instantly a Sylvan Library version just because I felt like I was this, this card would let me push the edge where... You know, I could get to where I want to be. Now I have to figure out how to put a deprive into my deck so I can deprive lock people. But right now I've got no no spots. Yeah, it's like days that's better in the late game but worse in the early game. It's like the same issues, right? Like, like days is great in the early game, but it makes your sanctuaries, like, in theory, worse as the game goes on. Or, like, it sets you behind. But, like... In the late game, it's like kind of terrible unless you're just randomly dazing things to convert them into sanctuary triggers. Whereas, like deprive is like you don't want to deprive on turn two <clears throat> or like anything against a combo decks because like hitting your land drops or at least the first four is super important. And uh, I don't know, like I could see it being okay in some matchups, but. Sounds clunky and awkward. I always others. find that miracles can get to at the top deck point. And like once you get to the top deck point, like having a card that's that is kind of like a random out like that where you can extend your top decks, like where you're still able to like leverage other cards in your deck, like whether it be predict or as an engine to keep going through your deck or Jace or Sylvan Library or whatever. Well, locking them out of draws seems really good to me. But, you know, that's, it's all, I don't know how viable the deck is um, in current Legacy, so, because it's all fluxed. We did get some um, new 5-0s, and I didn't see hardly any of the new cards in them um, over the weekend. Did you see that? I mean... The cards just got on, or I guess they got on Moto mid last week, something like that. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked that no new cards have been in them. Like, they'll slowly trickle in as people try new things. Like, legacy players are notoriously known for just, like, not really trying new things. But uh, I mean, Ma Maverick played Questing Beast. <laughs> yeah, Maverick players love putting green cards in their deck that are supposed to just destroy blue decks. It's just like, dude, just play your place at a chokes and call it a day. <laughs> um, so, when do you think people are going to start playing Tragic Lesson? Is that the... Which one is that? It's Hour of Promise, I think. It's a three-minute instant, draw two cards, then discard a card unless you return a land you control to your owner's hand. Oh, tragic! No, tragic arrogance. No, it's tragic lesson. I thought it was tragic arrogance. That's the Kefnet dies card. Yeah, it's the Kefnet dies card. Um, like it's um, not the best rate, but it's not horrible. Yeah, I have uh, an unhealthy number of foils of that card. So, um, yeah. Make it work, people, please. Yeah. Uh, Blue and draws a card, so I'm not shocked when you own foil copies of it. Uh, well, they were they were very cheap, and it um, it was interesting for a different reason. I can't remember what it was for, but it, I thought about playing that one and or trade routes. 
Yeah, Trade Routes is, like, actually not good, though. Like, that card's a bit too deep. I thought about it really hard for a little bit, but I really didn't want to add two more two-mana enchantments to my deck that really don't do anything. It doesn't do anything. Like, for those who don't know, Trade Routes is a two-mana blue enchantment. One colorless mana return target land you control to its owner hand, and then one mana discard a land from your hand draw a card. And it's like, I guess in theory in the late game, if you start flooding, you can start dumping your lands into trade routes. But until that point in the game, it's just a blank piece of cardboard that doesn't do anything. That's That was my issue. So I flood a lot when I play control decks, so I loved the flood insurance. But I also didn't want to add, what, three, four, five, six, you're up to seven two-mana enchantments in my deck that don't do anything. Because Counterbalance technically doesn't do anything if they don't cast spells and they have board presence already. So, you know, I I couldn't afford to do that much. So, you know, I did think about Tragic. I really thought it was Tragic Arrogance. It must be Tragic Lessons. But the I know it's the Kefnet Dies card, but... um. I just never got around to um, figuring the numbers on it because I feel like predicts still better, um, and maybe it, maybe it, maybe it is. Um, maybe it's playable. I don't know. It's an interesting card. I know. I know. Um, yeah, I just don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. I feel like predicts got to be better. Like, a lot of people know me for popularizing or, like, making AK Miracles and Legacy. Um, but, like, when I made that list, the format was less defined. Or, well, the decks that were around were less... They weren't as good as punishing Miracles, right? So, like, you could just jam this draw engine into your deck and be fine with not having as many spots for interaction. Because, like... At least the initial list that I made was built more like a mid-range deck with, like, main deck flusters and the three mentors, which, like, the game plan was just, like, draw a bunch of cards, play mentor, fluster your removal spell on turn, like, whenever in the game, and then, like, watch your opponent die to four tokens or whatever. Like, right now, with Rin and Six and everyone being so efficient, I feel like you need to have either more spell pierces or more slots for counterbalance and predict facilitates that a bit better because you can play only two or three copies and get away with it. Uh, like right now I have a list that is two copies and I'm not even sure that's correct or three copies. And I'm not sure that's correct. I may want two. you know, people are like cutting snapcaster. So it's, I'm not quite sure where to go. I know Ved mentioned that he, um, was playing 12 cantrips and was very happy with it, uh, which I guess makes sense if you're going really all in on, like, I want to be as hyper-consistent as possible. I want to find my first effect. It's really important to find certain effects within certain time windows, so I just need to be able to cast a cantrip every turn uh, if necessary. I don't think that works anymore. Since the London Mall. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like, like the, like those cantrip hands are like so redundant. It's more just like a matter of how your cantrip density scales into the game, right? Like, 
early game you have a high cantrip density, but you cast your cantrips looking for stuff, and then like around turn seven or whatever, you just like awkwardly sometimes start to flounder because you've cast a bunch of cantrips in the like early to mid game trying to find the relevant effects or like you know get rid of your counter magic to find removal or what have you. So I don't know. I I see merit to the twelve cantrip logic. Um, we'll have to see. There's also, like, maybe 21 lands is a thing that you want to do, because you want to naturally hit your land drops in the early game without having to play a Sanctuary out. And then, um, his, like, Sanctuary is great, because when these blue-white decks start to flood, you turn random fetch lands into a card, right? Like, it, it mitigates the... It makes, like, the flooding variant side of your deck much more manageable. But the flip side to that is, like, your your low land count hands, sometimes you just have this ETB tapped island. And I definitely lost at least one game to Delver because uh, they were just able to wasteland my Tundra, and then I had to play a Sanctuary tapped, and they were able to wasteland that. And, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. I think 21 lands is probably correct. It's like, it, it's probably correct, but, again, room. Like, it's it's hard to fit 21 lands in, plus all the effects that you feel like you need to actually, you know, like, answer the format, so... Well, bare minimum is what? Six basics. You're playing three duels, probably. Because you're not two. playing as... Two, well. unless you're playing a red splash, then you're up to four. So I'm playing three with the green splash. Two Tundras, one trap. But I'm only playing two Tundras because I've already got two new lands in my deck that don't like play well with Wasteland, so I've actually increased my my count based on that theory. So it's what, six, seven, eight, nine, two spell lands is 10, 11. Yeah, I th I'm, tw I'm at 20. But like, I would be at 21 very easily. You could, you could talk me into 21 just like that. Because like, to me, it was like 19 was what I was playing before. And these aren't real lands. So I kind of like, don't give them real land counts. 19 made sense when you could play like straight blue, white with three planes and like four flooded strand, four uh, prismatic vista, which gave you like functionally perfect mana. But now you're at a position where um, you can't even play prismatic vista. So we're awkwardly back at this point where miracles is regressing to having only five ish fetch lanes that can get basic planes, which feels definitely wrong. I think you're supposed to at least play one Vista, even though I can't fetch Sanctuary. And there's a chance that maybe you're supposed to play two, like four Flooded Strands, uh, three Scalding Tarns, and two Prismatic Vistas, because... Well, that's why I play the second Tundra. So I play four, four blue, blue green fetch, four Strand, one Vista. And that way I can... And that's why I have the second Tundra because I only have the five to get white, and it gives me more than... Yeah, I mean, I, I have two Tundra, but, like, 
who cares about Tundra, right? Like, Renin 6. <laughs> like, Renin 6 exists. Like, that's the issue. Yep. Like, Miracles is so man-intensive that you have to have basic lands to survive Renin 6, and you can't really do the, like, old, like, BBDS game plan of, I'm just gonna let myself get wastelanded twice and then fetch all my dual lands, or, like, back in Countertop Miracles where it was 3 Tundra, 3 Volk, and you would just, like, use top to, like, manage your mana, and then you would, like, throw out dual lands when, like, you didn't, like, weren't super worried about getting wastelanded or whatever, or you could, like, slog through it. Now it's just, like, here's my main deck loan lock. There isn't really a reprieve to wasteland coming down on your mana base. Well, if you play the Astrolabe version, you could go back to what, five islands, three planes, two two things gives you ten. Um, if you want the one Tundra, you can. Eleven, then nine fetches. And then you could play the sideboard mountain if you want to bring in Red Blast, because you have the Astrolabes to help facilitate the red anyways. So you could get you could get away with playing like eight basics if you're playing Astrolabes. Potentially. Like We'll see where things settle in terms of what concessions you're supposed to make in your mana base. Like, are you still supposed to make your hedges so that you have the ability to get white as needed? Uh, or are you supposed to, like, make the necessary hedges so that you can fetch Sanctuary on turn whenever you need to? And it... I wouldn't be shocked if you're supposed to make more of a hedge towards the white side of that than people are really naturally making at face value right now. It, the people the people that are building the Miracles list are the Miracle players that played it in its heyday, and they're currently building lists that still beat each other. And that's why they're playing, like, whatever, four AKs, one predict, and whatever nonsense is going on. And I mean, you know, I respect every one of them, but, like, I don't think that's what current legacy is about. You're not about, you know, bulldozing, bulldozing through your deck to have all these resources when, like, you know, there's so many effects right now that just don't care about any of that stuff. So, like, I think if you played a more perfect mana base with, especially with uh, the Astrolades, which I'm not even a, a big fan of, like, in four-color control, but in Miracles, it's different. I think having perfect mana in Miracles is far more important, and you don't have a run in six to recover your decisions, you know, your poor decisions. So, like... Yeah, but... I, I think, like, you also have to have um, cantrips that actually select things. Because, like, you're you're still playing miracles in your deck. Like, card quantity matters, but also drawing specific effects at specific times matter. And... You know, I don't... Like, Astrolabe makes sense in theory. Right, but then you look at the fact that you aren't playing portent or preordain, right? You aren't playing these effects that let you see three to four cards, and it becomes apparent that it's like this won't really do. Like, <coughs> like oh, you'll be able to I'm cast sorry, spells I... that matter, but you may not be able to find them. And by being a bit, more I guess reactive, I was, like, you know, I was thinking you replaced the. The, the two the two mana spells with with the astrolabe. Oh, you still have your you still have your ten cantrips. Sure, like 
I briefly talked with Min about that, and he mentioned that, like, if you're playing Astrolabe, you kind of have to play three drop to fairy, which, you know, some people are interested in doing that, some people are not, because, like, you need a way to get that draw engine, and, like, to fairy bounce your Astrolabe is a draw engine, so, uh... Hi. I guess. I mean, I'm okay with that, because you're playing Entreat, so it doesn't matter. Like, I'm okay with either. I'm okay with it either way. Like, I could take it or leave it. Like, I for me, like, I think the Astrolabes fix a lot of the the mana problems that Mystic Sanctuary brings into the deck. Yeah, I'm. So where I'm kind of at is like the more and more we talk, the more and more I feel like playing closer to like 11, 12 cantrips with like just two copies of Predict and like more action in interaction is probably the way to go, as opposed to, uh, like, like you said, the kind of Miracles player inbreeding game plan of just, like, playing a million draw spells, which, like, I understand the theory of playing a million draw spells, like, you don't have to outplay your opponent when you always have seven cards in hand, and, like, you can just crush them on a resource front, but that doesn't work when people have two mana planeswalkers that make all of their brainstorms perfect and whatever. Yep. I think they can fight. I especially don't like AK with um, with Force Negation in the format. Like, I just don't really want effects that get better with Graveyard when there's an anti-Graveyard counterspell now legal. <laughs> it just seems silly to me. I actually the think, like, see, anti-Graveyard what? counterspell what? Yeah, like, well, Force of Negation, like, counters and then oh, negates. Oh, oh, yeah, negates. yeah, yeah, it removes like, it. it, yeah. Yeah, like, because I actually think that will come up with Mystic Sanctuary. Like, people will be able to next level it by fighting Terminus with, with Force of Negation. Yeah, that's why Ven's playing a Verdict, or the last list he sent actually had two in it, uh, two Terminus, two Verdict, and uh, it was for that very reason. Like, you need the uncounterable... Uh, sweeper versus verdict. So. Um, did you check out the challenge this weekend? I didn't really look too closely at it. I know Bryant top aided. Um, kind of just seems like the normal smattering of various decks. Uh, oh, Bug Depths top aided. Nice. I actually excited about the Grixis control deck. Myself, I think we talked about it uh, a little bit before the show, but I was very excited because I've been testing with that deck for a little bit, as well as the other, the couple other decks I'm working on, and I kind of really enjoy the fact that it's it's now semi viable because the format's so weird. I don't know. Every time I play against Grixis Control with like the Delver shells, I just beat the brakes off of them with Renin Six. Um, I guess this person has, like, Blood Moons, and only one Blue Blast is interesting, and only two Lightning Bolts. Like, I don't know, every time I play against Texas or have, in recent memory, thank you, um, I just, like, punch them in the face and they die. Well, the deck that won the event, um, was a Stoneblade deck that was built by a Miracles Pilot. I'm pretty sure... <laughs> it's like it was Daryl A or Stoneblade list. Is, okay, so it looks like it's got six islands and 
two planes and a mountain. It reminds me of like a, an old miracles list. Like there's only two non basics and everything else is basic and got like it's very heavy handed, like three narsets, three Jasons. Well he also just doesn't have double white spells in the main. And yeah. that's probably because he doesn't want to fetch like the dual lands and just wants to be all in on his blue white spell game plan. And like makes sense to me. Like but like if that if that deck is still like somehow coming back and rearing its head when people aren't paying attention, like I really like Grixis because like everything else I think Grixis can fight. And I like it better than the four color decks because for me right now the four color decks are so hard to leverage because the mana is just not coming together for me reliably. I feel like people very much overstate how good Grixis control is against Stoneblade. Like the level one thinking is like, oh, call against command, but like you can still just like there's this aspect of playing Stoneblade where you can just like level people easily. Like you play your Stoneforge Mystic and then you like pass turn with mana up, and then your opponent has to just yeah, you like, get respect your Stoneforge. So like if they have yeah, if they have a call against command, they'll just like be sitting there staring at your stoneforge and you just like don't put batter skull in play and then they're like oh crap and then you're just like okay untap play my next land go and then they're like oh well well my deck is way more proactive and you get a lot of value out of uh you know being out of just like us playing land go so i'm gonna play my call against command now it's just like, yep, pop my Stoneforge, discard something, cast Brainstorm, get rid of this Batter Skull, play another Stoneforge later. And, like, you just get to kind of flip the whole two-for-one game on them. Uh, so, I don't know. Like, I just feel like the Grixis deck is inherently, like, pretty weak against the Renin Six decks, and, like... I don't think it... Like, what are the deck's good matchups? <clears throat> like, I feel like it has fine matchups. I mean, you're good against... but You're you're actually good against the combo decks. Where the run and six decks and such aren't good. Because your two-drop does matter. And this guy's built, like, the version I've been testing. He's got two Lilianas, and that's what I've been playing with. So, like, you got the him into Liliana um, line. He... He subbed uh, his fourth hymn for an Inquisition. I kind of swear by four hymns because every time I've cut a hymn and I play Grixis Control, I don't draw the hymns. And it's my fault. <laughs> like, I can't be mad. I mean, I've generally been a fan of four hymns, but I think having three one-mana discard spells is fairly important on the draw. Uh, and I think if you're setting up Liliana, like the extra discard spells to... Like, make sure you can stack Force Wills and Force Negations and Spell Pierces. Pretty important. Well, he does... Oh. Yeah, he, I, have, I have three and four. I have three one-mana spells and four hymns. But he has two more Planeswalkers. Than me. Yeah, so. the other thing is, like, everybody's playing Spell Snares right now. And um, him plays right into that. Like, him is good, but I like it less when everybody has Spell Pierce and Spell Snare in their deck. Like, it's, it's not as good in a field of blow-to-the-ground stuff, and I feel like right now people are just playing it because, like, one, it's integral to the construction of the deck, and 
too. Like, it helps. It's, like, part of what gives the Grixis deck game against other control shells, and uh, it gives you a relevant play against combo. Otherwise, you're just kind of, you know, not really anything in that matchup. Well... Yeah, like I've mine's is like I said, my deck's com- my deck's different in a lot of ways than this deck because like I have the astrolabes. I also have um, no lightning bolts, but I have two magnetic sinkholes. So like I basically stole the idea from the Jeskai Mentor decks, where like they played the red just for that, and I was kind of like I, I don't really I hate lightning bolt in Grixis uh, because I hate fetching red early, so. I like being blue-black and then getting red for K-Command and other spells. So I was, like, looking at the magnetic sinkholes and, you know, because I tested the Mentor deck before GP Atlanta, and I was looking at that deck on my table apart, and I was just like, well, I can play these, and they do everything I want anyways. They kill walkers, they kill big, dumb creatures. So they're actually, like, better than Fatal Push anyways. Like, they, they complement Fatal Push to me. More than Lightning Bolt does. I mean, part of the reason they play Bolt has classically been, like, J slash Clock. Um, but I agree with your concern about the mana base. I remember Sam Rukas uh, making a joke that Grixis Control is constructed like Tess, where um, you have all of these spells in the early game that are split across multiple colors, and... Uh, you end up in these spots where your opponent can just, like, YOLO wasteland you in the early game, and it's like, there goes insert inter, insert point of interaction. I have enjoyed the Magmatic Sinkholes, um, and I've enjoyed the deck. I think it's fine. Um, I'm, you know, it's concerned some. I'm, I haven't played a Delver a deck, and, like, I watched Jarvis stream a Snow Grixis the other night. Shout out to Jarvis stream. It's awesome. Um, but he didn't play against Delver either, so I really didn't get a chance to see. Like, that was my concern. Is this deck able to beat the new Red Delver? Because um, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, like I said, my experience playing Delver against Grixis is that, like, they don't beat Red and Six Lock that easily. And... Uh, I I can't imagine that there's much outside of, like, Wasteland, I guess. Um, I don't, no, ah, not outside of Wasteland. Blood Moon, sorry. Like, Blood Moon's to cut off Wasteland. Uh, which, like, like, Blood Moon playing is fine on the play, but kind of terrible on the draw, and, like, you don't have the kind of easy mitigating agent of your own Ren Sixes, so... I'm just, like, not really big on this deck. But I tend to, like, have a lower opinion of this deck than most people. Also, I'm kind of surprised to see, like, no Gurmag Anglers. Every time I've played this deck, I've found myself getting to a point where, you know, I really just wanted to, like, kill my opponent. Or, or, like, I had to kill my opponent. And that consisted of, like, frantically upticking Jace on them. Uh, I was very surprised. I was very surprised. I played zero anglers, but I had my two plague engineers in the main, like stealing my, you know, 
you know, stealing my deck building for four color control and then, you know, melding that with Jeskai and getting a better mana base. And to only have the seven mediocre creatures, like you can win. And he's got he's got the two Lilianas with the Liliana Edicts and three K commands. So he's probably or I'm sorry, they are probably winning by you know, draw step discard. And that's probably how they're winning. They're probably not winning with their Jace very often. I mean, all these <clears throat> control decks are winning with Jace. That's their main win con. And, like, that's just my issue. It's, like, kind of a fragile game plan. It's, like, every game comes down to either you, like, having a bunch of Snapcasters in play, tempoing your opponent out of their draw step with Colligan's command, or just aggressively up- upticking Jace because you're fundamentally, like, a Jun deck that sucks at dealing with the top of its opponent's deck because you don't have a lot of counter spells, you have a glut of discard spells, and you don't have a real clock to like close out the game before your opponent can draw something good. So, like, for example, say someone's slaughter game jaces out of a Grixis controller, right? Like, say just, like, hypothetically, somebody can do that in the early turns. How hard would that deck be to beat in most cases? Like, not that hard, right? Like, the deck just doesn't... Like, of course it wins games without Jace, but, you know, it just doesn't really function as well. And there's a lot of matchups that you don't really win. I think Miracles... I think Miracles suffers the same thing. They can save their counter magic for your other two to three win cons and then just win the game. So, But I understand what you're... I understand what your point is. Like, Jace is fundamental. So, like, Miracles has that issue, but you also have Mentor, or you haven't treated the angels. You have, like, non-Jace cards that have the ability to just go over the top of your opponent's head and, do, like, kill them, or completely stabilize a game, or, you know, whatever, steal a game from the Jaws of Defeat. Whereas Grixis doesn't have that. It, like, doesn't really have sweepers. You're just trying to, like, nickel and dime your way to victory. And... You know, if you are able to do that, then you feel great. If you aren't able to do that, then, uh, you know, you're in, like, a really bad spot. And, like, if your opponent's able to consistently keep, like, a board state where Jace the Mind Sculptor doesn't do anything, or, like, Jace is a format of Brainstorm, then you can just get ground out of the game because, like, you didn't hit your win so. I, I think this deck can win without the Jace because of all the draw step discard effects that it can build its game towards, but I think Jace is still essential to the fact. I mean, like I said, I have two Plague Engineers as my creatures 8 and 9. I like the Angler idea. I just have never liked Angler. In like, sure. Like, so. It has its flaws, and like there's some matchups that are where it's like much better. Like If there's a lot of old draws that you want more Anglers or whatever. Um, I think even having yes. a Plague Engineer is fine. Like, just some other supplementary creature. Like, you know, Angler closed out the game fast, but Plague Engineer validates a lot of creature threats. So, you know, at least can... That was my issue with this. Like, deck. demoralize your opponent like, into... That, that was my issue with this build, was it really is leaning onto its early discard packages, because it can't control a board that goes wide. And it can't control a board that goes under. Like it, it seemed really strange to me. You know, I, I don't know. Like, I like I like Grixis Troll. I don't know if, and I liked this list as a starting point. 
but I feel like it needs to be honed. And I, and I also probably like this better than playing four color control currently. Like I'm back, I'm off of four color control for a while just because I played rug and I saw what I wasn't actually doing. Yeah. I, I just got tired of managing four color mana bases, to be honest. Uh, it's kind of nice to just like chill and play a two or three color deck and not have to devote so much mental energy to like planning out the first five land drops. And like, if you use the wrong fetch land on turn two, then like you may get bricked on turn five or six because of that. And, yeah. Well, like the big thing for me, the Grixis is real is the little, me thinking that like combo decks are rising up because the premier Delver deck isn't actually good at dealing with combo. Like, cause I mean, if you look at the, the MKM series, their top eight, it had, it was one by storm. I think it had two storm pilots in the top eight, a painter, uh, reanimator depths. And I think that's it. Um, hold on. Yep. He had one reanimator depths, which I know is not technically a combo, but I mean, it's reanimator depths, so it still is very combo-esque. One painter and two storm. And, like, I played against storm at the GP with Rug Delver. I did not feel like I had enough tools to finish the game. And based on uh, our previous week's episode, uh, Cyrus, he was really not scared of all. And he, you know, he took he took down the event very easily. Yeah, I, so, we he and I discussed it last week on the cast. The flaws that you know these rug decks have when trying to combat storm, and uh, you know I don't think we really need to go that in depth and reiterate that here. Um, but no, I agree. It's just like you aren't. You don't have the critical disruption. These decks aren't playing enough lock pieces or the right lock pieces to really interact with Storm uh, in a way that's like favorably consistent. So, I think like the only thing going for like especially like Moto, there's not that actually that many um, Storm pilots. No, there's good. like the Storm Cabal, um, like eight or ten dudes or something that are just like all the best storm players in the world and like those guys just kind of thug it out in the leagues and you'll occasionally get paired against them and then like other storm players are not super great like i've had a lot of matches against storm players where they just like kill themselves for no reason did you um one of the storm pilots. I don't know if he was the winner or not, but they had uh, two Chandra awakened Inferno, and I was just like, "Well, that's a hedge for miracles." Like, yeah, get up to six. That's mana. Surf and Bird. Uh, <laughs> Fifteen. That's yeah. Is that, that's Surf and Bird. So you know, it was. I is, saw the two Chandras, and I was like, "Okay, who hurt you?" And I was like, "You know, touched by a counterbalance." Oh. So. Uh, and they were the winner. Yeah, they won. So that's funny. I just think it's funny. Storm has made the finals of the last three premier legacy events, and it has won two of them. 
It's it's uh it's definitely doing good. I mean, I don't really think it's uh, I, that's my issue with playing the rugged elver currently is is I do think combos on the rise. I don't even know if rugs rugged elver has a currently a good plan against uh the new well not new but these painter decks. These painter decks are getting very powerful, and if uh, one of the cards that we failed to talk about earlier, Emery sees play in these like a blue red version of painter i think it just gets even more problematic yeah i mean we talked about that on cast like maybe these decks want to uh go to blue red for emery and um, i don't know we'll see it's it's like awkward for the delver shells the i think right now the issue with the painter matchup is just like how redundant they are they have like the infinite stack of goblins they have a bunch of things that say draw a card, um, like all the graveyard recursion that's obnoxious. Some of these lists are playing like, uh, what is it? Sundering Titan now. Because um, you can like entomb for it with Goblin Engineer and then like buy it back with Goblin Welder. There's just a lot going on. Uh, and when these decks get any traction, it's nightmare for you to answer. But also like, before with Painter, uh, they didn't have a threat density to really like stress your removal spells. Whereas now, you know, you have to pop Goblin Engineer, like even uh, Bomac Courier in some lists. And Th- this list was playing Season Pyromancer, which is also problematic for Dover because it makes a ton of little blockers for your coifs. So you're really just depending on... You can't depend on flying through the air since they're usually... Like, this deck has sick red blast effects in its main deck. So Dover and PNN are yeah, suspect. It's, these, these matchups don't sound good. And it's like, you know, about time people started adapting to a degree against Dover, but I don't know how uh, prevalent these decks are going to be. This deck, I mean, this deck is a neat deck. I, I don't know if I would play it, um, but it's got a lot of it's got a lot of things going on for it. I'm not sure. I, I like the idea of the blue red one with Emery a little more, but then again, it might be. I don't know, Emery. If you have three welder effects in your deck, I'm not sure if, how fun that will be for Legacy. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, even if I mean Emery is like, yeah, like you said, it's a third welder and. We'll see what happens. It's gross. It's kill on state. Uh, right now, people are playing like Emery and a few shells in modern. Uh, I've seen Emery like paradoxical outcome decks because you can use Emery plus Mistress Bobble plus Mistress Bobble to produce infinite triggers. So, like, or Emery plus double Mox Opal, right? Just like. Any zero drop that dies, um, you mean you mean Jeskai Ascendancy, not yeah, Paradoxical. Outcome. Sorry, there are Paradoxical Outcome yeah. lists, but there's You're also right. the Jeskai Ascendancy list. Um, yeah, the the Ascendancy deck is really dumb. I've played it; yeah, it's really it's, dumb. I've watched some people <laughs> play it; and it's nutty. Um, like, geez, like I think next month is GP Columbus, which is modern, and I need to figure out if I'm playing that and. If I am going to play that, then I have to like relearn Modern, because I haven't touched the format in a while. And um, 
there's a lot going on. Like, like I saw some people testing with it. I played it for a little bit. It's actually like kind of silly. Like I said, like you're still an Urza deck. Like you're still an Urza, Doctor Foundry. You're still all that, but then you also just have this incidental uh, in Mox Amber start with Emery, where you just get to like go off with Ascendancy on turn two, and if they can't do anything about it, they're dead. Which is kind of not right, you know. It's you know if you think about like the way modern's supposed to you know, work. You're not supposed to just be able to yeah. kill them on turn two. I think people cling to that <laughs> moniker. Modern is a turn two format way too hard. Um, that was a phrase that, like, someone randomly said in, like, 2012, back when, like, the most powerful thing you could be doing uh, post the initial swath of bands of modern was, like, a birthing pod. Uh, you know? And... Like, the format has changed a lot. The card pool has gotten deeper. Uh, like, it's just not the same dynamic. Uh, I, I think, like, the whole spirit of the format thing is just, like, a idea that people really need to dispose of. And, um... I guess I'm not speaking it for us. Like, I just don't think it's... It's not fun, like, so, but because the they format. Won't, because they won't give them... They won't give them force of will. Like... You know, without because like technically, like yes, you can force a negation to just guy ascendancy, but like they can also go Emery into Urza into you know something else, and you're just like, well, you know, I have the force negation in my hand, <laughs> and it's like they played a they played an Emery into an Urza into a Goblin Welder, and this force negation still looks good in my hand. Yeah, I mean, legacy so, like you're rewarded for being proactive, and in modern you're even more so, and that's kind of just been the format always, right? Only recently have we had people recently within the past few years, have we had people not just like outright say Celestial Colony decks suck, which even now people are still doing that. But like there were periods in the format where like you didn't see control. That just wasn't really a thing that happened. Um, it was it was more Jund colors. Yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was the uh, control deck in my opinion. Uh, sure, there was like Jund, and then there is like, um, what is it? What's the other deck? Like Jund Shadow. Sure. Like, the, there, like we had what? We had Jund Jund, and then we had the, the different Shadow iterations, which were Jund decks that just would kill you once they decided it's time to stop playing. Well, we had like, like Splinter Twin or whatever. Um, like, yeah. even the, like, control decks were, like, more proactive for a while. There was, like, Boy Red Geist, which was the go-to control deck. Uh, and then, you know, Sean McLaren won the Pro Tour with just, like, a Drago deck. Uh, and since then, like, we've had, like, Ben Nicklick repopulate Drago. But for the most part, like, the format was just, like, a proactive, you know playground the whole thing was like you play affinity and like make your opponent draw uh stony silence otherwise whatever you just kill them run through their face um that's just the general standard of the format and 
I think people who like like as card pools deepen, as more and more powerful cards have been getting printed, like I had a conversation with someone where we were discussing how right now, like this year, it's kind of felt like Urza saga, like level of power creep compared to what we've had in the past. And uh, which, you know, whether or not that's a correct comparison is kind of like whatever. It's more just the fact that like um, things have just been degenerate, you know? And Oh, I mean, I definitely agree with Urza Saga, but like instead of it being the set, like it's been 2018, 2019 were Urza Saga. Because like even standard, have you, I mean, I know you're an eternal guy. You follow like standard and like every standard set has had a broken combo deck in it. A uh, broken combo deck or, like, really push red deck or, like, you know, it's... Well, even, even the red decks, like, the red decks have been just racing. That's why they've been played. But, like, even each format, like, we had the, the Kethas combo in the last season. Before that, we had the Nexus of Fate deck. Before that, we had, um... Oh, gosh. I was actually talking about this with somebody else. There's been a broken combo deck in every standard that has been, you know, actionable. Uh, we had the Sihili Rai, Beldegard Guardian deck. Like, you know, and it's just, like, silly, right? Like, you sit there and look through, and it's just, like, you know, the, the card pool's getting more powerful, and I think it's because, like, when Wizards takes time off and prints the Ixalan block, like, everybody's like, ah, oh, these cards are terrible, and they just play all the cards around it. And, you know, and War of the Spark was broken in half. So, you know, if... If the next two sets weren't very powerful, War of the Spark cards would dominate till August, next August, when the next rotation. Sure. It's also just like kind of awkward because like Wizards has been very clearly trying to like have magic be very centered around not necessarily like only creatures, but like kind of mostly creature-based combat or just, like, playing to the board. But they also just keep repeatedly printing effects that invalidate uh, whatever your opponent is doing, right? Um, Oko, Teferi, the Reflector Mage, just, like, this whole three-drop test, or, like, even, like, uh the Royal Scions, just like three mana planeswalkers that come into play, have a bunch of loyalty, so they're hard for your opponent to interact with or hard for you to interact with. And, you know, it's, it's a weird spot where we went from, like, control being invalidated by these, like, aggro decks that had insane four-drop mana sync top-ends uh, to, like, having these pseudo-combo decks to having, like, mid-range decks that, like, team or energy or whatever, that, uh, we're just, like, these hyper-efficient behemoth. And now we're just at this point where it's, like, planeswalkers without efficient answers for them, which is, I, I guess, like, Black has Murderous Rite or whatever that card is, but it's still kind of garbage. Uh, I hate planeswalkers so much. Uh, I mean, they've given a lot of answers to the Planeswalkers because of the 
the fallacies of the of the last several walkers. But like the problem for me is like what you said before. You're playing to the like, board. All these decks are playing. Like to how many spell-based like answers can your like creature centric deck afford for planeswalkers? Like you you can't like build a standard environment where spell based control is just invalidated and then expect the creature decks to delude themselves by playing these spell-based answers that would normally like they would normally have another deck acting as a natural predator for these shells or whatever or you know you get what i'm saying like it's just like yeah. asking a lot of deck construction and just like what your player base can and can't actually like interact with Oh, I mean, even the spell-based answer is like Murderous Rider is a creature still. I mean, it's silly, right? It's like, and it is a it is a hero's downfall that becomes a creature later on when you want one, you know? Maybe. And goes back into your deck to get it back. Maybe later. that's just like the solution, right? Uh, like, the whole, all of these creatures double as spells, which... Like, maybe, maybe that is the solution. Like, Wizards is printing obnoxiously pushed Planeswalkers, but in an effort to support, like, the Arena Best of One system and just, like, reduce variance across the game as a whole, they're printing, you know, lands that are fetchable that are also, like, Mystic Tutor, have secondary effects, or they're printing uh, creatures that aren't just creatures, but they're also, like, spells that answer every problem that you need to answer, but then they also function as, like, you know, they're both early game and late game effects, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So. I mean, I did get to play Stacks last weekend with the uh, free play any deck you want on Arena. I got to play the Esper Stacks deck, and that was amazing. Uh, and it's like a, it's more like a Second Sunrise kind of deal. But it was still fun. Um, there's an enchantment that says sack a non-token, non-land permanent on each upkeep. And then if someone can't do that, you sack the permanent, draw a card, make a 2-2 knight, and gain life, I believe. And then there's the blue-white spell that says get back enchantments and artifacts from your graveyard and put them in play. So you get to play stacks. It was fun. I just don't think that, uh, you know, unfortunately, like, none of the cards I said are playable in Modern or Legacy currently. Maybe Dance the Mance in some kind of shell to buy back your artifacts and stuff. But mm. I, don't, I, I think Savine's Reclamation is just Somebody is probably going to, like, try and play it in Tesserator, and Tesserator is still just going to be the same deck with the same problems of, like, having every problem that Chalice the White Stompy decks have but also having every problem that comes along with, you know, being a deck based around casting colorless spells and wanting to be an Ancient Tomb deck, but also needing, you know, blue slash maybe black spells or what have you. Yeah, I like the idea. Like I said, I like the idea of... uh... I hope they get back into spells matter. And I mean, the adventure spells are neat, but it's it's funny to me that the new spell-based land that gets back instants and sorceries and puts it on top of your library can't get any of the adventures. 
So there's actually less spells in this set for him to get back. That's humorous to me. Um, but, I, you know, if I guess if the future for spell-based control is going to be based around adventure creatures, because, I mean, I do think they'll continue with it, because like, from what I've understood from the pre-release and everything, everybody has positively enjoyed having these spells double. Yeah, spells. have you, like, drafted this format? You just no. never run out of things to do. Like you, yes, I have. You it's... just always have things to do with your mana, and like having everything, every other card via mana sync creates a positive experience because players get to make decisions con- constantly, and you know, Wizards is gonna like I said, they're just gonna keep along with this current path of building sets and formats that. Like every card has three modes, and they're very efficiently costed, and you know, just all of that. I wish the last two sets weren't so heavy-handed in pushing towards Theros block with all these pips and these spells that matter if you play monocolored. Like it is so like advertising for Theros block. I'm okay with it. Theros coming back because we'll. Hopefully Elspeth comes back and saves us from Red and Six, but... Uh, How does Elspeth come back and... All these I mean, it's like it's likely going to be a black-white Elspeth, but I don't see how it would save us from Red and Six. Like, it's coming back from the graveyard. Like, Red and Six is reaching into the ground to grab a land, and she's going to come up and just, like, stab him and put him into the underworld. I don't know. I just want to play something besides Red and Six. So... I, I miss Elspeth, so it'll be neat to see a new Yeah, Elspeth. she's like definitely a fan favorite when it comes to lore, but I don't... Like... I hope they don't like make a Planeswalker that can come back from the graveyard. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly what like, I was worried about. <laughs> like, we've had static ability Planeswalkers, and I would prefer to not have like... When when the second creature enters the battlefield, return Elspeth back from the graveyard. Yeah, I I don't know what it would be, but I'm really not interested in having like Elspeth the return from the graveyard. And... I mean, can you see the line in tomb for Elspeth? <laughs> Do whatever requires her to come out. Yeah. I mean, it's more that, like, Planeswalkers are already a negative, or net negative effect, in my opinion. Um, And I think that, like, having a Planeswalker that, like, has the potential to just, like, return from the graveyard is pretty terrible. And, like, I don't see how it would lend itself to any sort of, like play pattern that wouldn't make players want to just, like, jump off a bridge. Because, like, right now the biggest issue is cheap planeswalkers that, like, like, the cheap planeswalkers are coming into play and having effects on the game that are similar to what, like, the six-mana planeswalkers were doing, right? Like, where it was like, here's my Elspeth Sun's Champion, or my Karn Liberated, or my arbitrarily big planeswalker, so right, here's my big yes, planeswalker that does something. some effect, 
that really invalidates a lot of what happened previous to it coming down. And now that's happening on turn three. And like based on the way they're designing planeswalkers, it's like, okay, if new Elspeth can come down on turn like let's say one through three, right? Or two at the earliest, assuming it's black white, and it has some way of coming back, it would have to have like a pretty weak effect. It would have to be like Elspeth that just minuses a bunch and then like makes tokens and then like I don't know, sack three soldier tokens, reanimate Elspeth three. That's still or like sack three token creatures or what have you. Uh they're more likely to just make it a very general um like a very general uh effect because like they they generally don't like want to specify in these spots or too hard right and um like early game elspeth spits out some tokens can sack tokens come back that's annoying uh the tokens stifle early aggression uh they go wide on the control decks that don't really exist, etc., etc. Uh, Elspeth that um, comes down on turn five or six and does something really big and impactful and then has a way of coming back has the same issue, but even worse because, like, you're right, you're like later in the game, so in theory, resource-wise, you just like would have uh, access to more things, or, like, you're more potentially able to create very dominating board states. And... You can, you can, you can hem to Turok your opponent enough times with your Planeswalker, right? Like, they're, they're forced into forcing their spells over... Well, I, I'm not even, like, speaking legacy, per se. I'm just saying, as just a... Oh, so just a generality... Part, mostly slanted towards standard, but like still just a generality of like how these cards affect the game. And I, I mean, I for me, like it's like worrisome because I used to love Planeswalkers when they first came on the scene. They were great. They allowed me to have, uh, but they were only control cards. Like that's really yeah, they, they were like control and, cards, but also like their effects were they were. Better than enchantments, but not better than enchantments by such a margin that utterly broke the game. Right. I, mean, I would even say Jace the Mind Sculptor wasn't as good in Legacy as what people got on board. They just, people just didn't realize that they could just play Red Blast. You know, like people didn't, people adapted slowly because Legacy players usually do. So, like, Jace, like, broke the format because people were lazy, as opposed to, you know, like, we were talking about Tyrant Score and play Tyrant Score to beat Depths. It's a card that was, you know, legal, it was fresh and standard, something easy to do, and if and if you actually went back and looked, you could have played Curfew, you could have played, like, a million different cards. Like, there's just so many different cards, like Vapor Snack, you know, like, there were other methods if you really want to beat something, but Legacy players hate to adapt. So, um, I didn't mind walkers, but like Ren and Six, even before Ren and Six, some of the walkers that have been getting printed, like I, I was joking, but I've been, you know, I've been playing around with Nicobolus and my Dragon God and my Grixis control deck because 
Well, the card's just stupid. Like, it's a it's seven mana walker for five mana that does, like, several things while it pluses. And I'm just like, why, why was this printed? You know, like, why did they print a card that says, like, draw a card, go up in, in uh, loyalty, and take away one of your opponent's cards or permits? Because it's, you like, know, like, that's all on the same Like, a super card. restrictive mana cost and isn't, like, necessarily castable and like an insane number of game positions. Right, but it's still like 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 all of the all of the Nicobolas planeswalkers have had insane Sure. Sure, I get it. It's like the Jace the Mind Sculptor thing of like or Chandra Torch of the Flames. Like it's a card that has a stack of abilities. Uh, all of them either create card advantage or directly interact with your opponent. So you know for a fact that uh, you know, they're going to, like, brick your opponent in some way. Um, yeah, I just thought, like, and, I mean, like, and like I said, Oko and World Scions also, like, you know, it's all these Planeswalkers that are ticking up to insane loyalties while generating card advantage to me is problematic. Like, I know the Scions isn't card advantage because you're looting, but I would argue in Legacy that's, you know, or even Modern, Putting stuff in your graveyard is never a bad thing. So, yeah, it's it's you know, still like, generating velocity and can also increase pressure and the like. So, you know, um, yeah, I'm over the planeswalkers with you, basically. Yeah, uh, I don't really have anything else I want to talk about uh, tomorrow, or I guess when this comes out, it'll be yesterday. Um, the Legacy Premier League is starting back up. Um, you'll be able to watch that on twitch.tv backslash it's Julian, I T S J U L I A N. Uh, it's those who have seen like the Vintage Super League or any sort of similar thing uh, will know exactly what's going on. Um, Everyone else, it's just like a community-organized round-robin uh, tournament. Uh, that you know, it's gonna be cool. It's uh, they have they have super high production value. They uh, they've been doing it forever. I think the original league was called the Mediocre Legacy, Legacy Mediocre League. league. Yeah, was great. Yeah, uh, the the production values is insane. They put a lot of work into this, and uh, they get they they cope. They commentate and play, and then sometimes they get other commentators in, and they're all legacy enthusiasts. Um, I can't, I, I never miss an episode of this. I mean, I do consume a ton of legacy content, but this is like one of the things that I never miss an episode of. It's just amazing. Yeah, awesome. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, I think I think that's it. Um, we're still on Patreon. Uh, I'm going to be working on getting some stuff up there this week. Um, I'm sure Steve will be posting some stuff soon. Uh, and you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash thirstercast. Uh, that's also our Twitter at. Um, but our personal Twitter tags are, you know, Steve, you can find him at Racelinim, R-A-I-S-T. L-I-N-I-M. 
You can find me at Lawrence Harmon, uh, Lawrence spelled with a W. And then our editor, Kwame, can be found at Tripod Gun, uh, gun with two N's. So, uh, yeah, feel free to hit us up, and uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>